Hello! Hello, 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 and welcome. It's the Album Nerds Podcast for all you album nerds out there. You got Dude and Andy. Andy, what the hell's going on? Technical difficulties abounding during these recordings. How are you, sir? Uh, you know, it's just one of those days, man. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. Today on the show, we're looking back on our essential jazz, blues, and country project that we've been doing since way back in January, if you can believe that. It's been a wild ride, huh, man? Yes, it has been crazy. I love elements of the blues, but I'm, I was hoping I'd become one of those blues dudes that has a big collection of blues records that could be like, oh, that's by Hoggy Mae Bess from 1922, <laughs> you know, and just be able to identify stuff. And But what I found as an album fan, what I found was I was challenged to find albums I loved. I found artists that were cool, but there's so many blues songs that were done and redone blues riffs that were done and redone and i think maybe i gave up too soon and i didn't really get into the modern era but i got kind of log jammed and i didn't feel like i was getting anywhere (laughs) sounds painful man ouch (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think that's something i i discovered too doing the essential jazz project is if you go back far enough you know once you get months past the 50s you know in the 40s there the album itself is a lot different than we know it nowadays it was really more of a collaboration and they were really you could tell they're still figuring out exactly what our record was and how to produce it so things do get a little hazy when you get back far enough but uh yeah i don't know i you know i had a really a good time doing the jazz project and i learned a lot about the different eras of that of that genre and i feel like i have better appreciation for it and i can honestly say it's affected how i listen to music um more modern music in my normal day-to-day listening so it's been cool and and also um i know with your country project that you'd have been doing the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. I feel like as a result of listening to a lot of those records on my end, I have a much better appreciation for that genre as well. I never wanted to like country music. As I've discussed before on the show, when I was a teenager, I thought country music was the devil and like the worst musical genre in existence. But I've changed my tune over the years. And in both projects, blues and country, I listened to, I don't know, all told, 50, 75 albums. It was good for me. So I agree with you in that in that respect where, you know, uh, and the, these are two elements. I love rock and roll. Country and blues are two of the, you know, the meat and potatoes. They're the roots of that kind mm-hmm. of music. So I've learned to listen to music a little bit differently as well. So I think it was a success, just not the way I thought it would be. And for you, I'm really proud of you. I think you, I think you're truly like a jazz fan at this point and i think that's awesome oh thanks buddy i'm proud of i'm proud of you too proud (laughs) (laughs) well good thing we're a good thing we're a distance of 500 600 whatever miles apart otherwise i'm afraid of what feel a hug coming on catch up we catch (laughs) eyes right now you know catch some eye contact and we get really uncomfortable too all right well why don't we dig into some of the specifics and kind of give a little overview of, of what we learned All right, the blues. Quite a journey. Quite a journey. All right, so I started with an album I was already familiar with, which might be cheating. It was uh, It's a two-album set, actually. It's by an artist called Taj Mahal, and uh, Giant Step and Old Folks at Home are the name of the, the two albums that are included in this two-album set. It was released in 1969. Uh, it's about total of 69 minutes long. It's on uh, Columbia Records, and it was produced by David Rubinson. Now, here's the kooky part. This was my favorite one coming in, and it's still 
the best one coming out. This is the essential blues record for me that if I ever, if anyone ever said, oh, I want to get into the blues, I would, this is where I'd point them to. I love this album. The It's like a two, it's got two personalities. The Giant Step is a little more modern blues with a full band and it's acoustic on the old folks at home and it's much more rootsy and Taj Mahal tells stories about chickens and uh, does a lot of j- uh, blues standards but in his own very countryfied sort of way with ban- banjo and harmonica. And it's just, I love it. I loved it as a kid and I love it today. What were the, I know that you liked it back when I first brought it up. What are your thoughts now, Andy? Uh, I feel pretty similarly on it. It's, it's a really enjoyable listen. Start to finish. There's a lot of personality, like you said. I could see, uh, especially if I was introduced to it as a as a younger person, becoming pretty attached to some of the, the stories he tells and like the little you know sound effects and you know where he's just making kind of nonsense words or tapping on his guitar. It feels very loose and friendly and in, inviting to listen to. Yeah, so I'm going to play one of those songs off of the first the first part of the or the second part of the album actually. Old folks at home. This one is called Cluck Old Hen, and uh, it's interesting. Now, if you ever have some chickens, you have some hens in the hen house, you know. When you come out there in the morning sometime, after they lay them eggs, you know, they make a funny little sound. Now, they can either cackle when they're nervous or they cluck when they're quiet and happy. And this is what the clucking sound like on the banjo. I read some cool stuff that Taj Mahal has said in some interviews and stuff. You can listen to my music from front to back. You don't ever hear me moaning and crying about how bad you done treated me. I think that style of blues and that type of tone was something that happened as a result of many white people feeling very, very guilty about what went down. (laughs) Makes a good point there, for sure. Yeah, he makes a great point. I, I love this album. I'm going to play one more track from it, and then I'll run through the other uh, Essential Blues records that we discussed, and, and we'll, we, we won't uh, waste too much time on that. Here's Bacon Fat from Giant Step. Oh, baby. Oh, honey, why you got your bacon fat? Yeah, folks, we back again. Oh, baby, honey, tell your man why you got the bacon fat. Now, you know, I told you once before, baby, that's for sure. Now, this is a little bit more of the traditional blues of that era. The recording's a little cleaner. It's got a full band. It's a fun listen, too, but it's, it's a little less folksy. So the other stuff we listened to, we dug in. Like I said, I listened to 50 or more records, but Albert King, Born Under a Bad Sign. This was also very excellent uh, from August of 1967. Recorded at Stack Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. This is more of like electric blues, soul blues. It's a 34-minute record. Uh, producer was Jim Stewart. It's got elements of funk, blues. This is a great record. What do you think of this? It's a little less... Uh, friendly for sure than Taj Mahal but a different style of blues yeah that's a little more what I would think of as the blues I guess where it's a lot more guitar centric and there's a lot more soloing going on and in that type of music especially that record um, you can hear the influence it had on a lot of rock music listened to nowadays uh, very clearly so obviously very influential record 
You know, and I, yeah, and you know, I believe Isaac Hayes was in the band, and Isaac oh, really? Hayes is known <laughs> for his funk, his funk music. Uh, you know, the Shaft soundtrack yeah. and stuff. So Albert King's guitar work is supposed supposedly directly influenced people who studied him, like Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Eric Clapton, and blues rock, as you all probably know is one of my favorite subgenres of rock and roll and I hear a lot of those elements in this record. So this one was a fun one for me too. I think you liked it. Yeah. That's uh I think I had heard that one before the project, but yeah, it's it's a good one for sure. Yeah. And then I finished up, I only did 3. I was such a quitter. Rolling Stones Blue and Lonesome. This was another <laughs> shortcut. This one was recorded in 2016 by the Rolling Stones. And what I found was there were all these classic blues songs on here. Uh, this was recorded, um, yeah, December of 2016. And it was produced by Don Waz and the Glimmer Twins, whoever that is. And uh, <laughs> the Rolling Stones basically grew up on the blues. They were influenced by the blues. You can hear it in all of their music. But what they decided to do was make a true blues album, which they had never done. And it's blues covers. It's uh, classic blues songs. They did a great job. Some of them I prefer to the originals. And that's when I kind of knew that this had come to a close for me because I ended you know, to listen to the blues, I ended up going back to a rock and roll band. How lame is that? It's a great listen, though. And if you love the Rolling Stones, even though it's blues standards, you still just sounds like a Stones record. So I got nothing but good stuff to say about it. And it was fun to close out with. I think that's the best thing they've done in recent memory by far. It sounded like they kind of breathed new life into the band and you could tell they were excited to kind of have a little change in direction. And yeah, I, I listen to it still to this day. So it's a good good place to end up if you're going to end up anywhere. It's definitely one of the cooler blues records that came out recently. Oh, yeah. Yeehaw! Woo! All right, country time. So I made a, a pivot to country because that's the other part as we talked about, we've got the blues, we've got the country that makes rock and roll. So I jumped into country. I started with a modern band called A Thousand Horses. The album was Bridges. I like it. Mm-hmm. Andy does not. <laughs> but <laughs> what I liked about it was that all those elements that I ended up picking up from listening to all these other country records, including ones we listened to for the show, Tyler Childers and Culture Wall and... Chris Stapleton. What I liked about this, it's a like kind of a half EP, six new songs, five new songs, and then they did some acoustic versions, live versions of their songs, which both Andy and I preferred that side of the record. But what I liked was it's got those elements. It's got the elements about small town living, you know, living your regular life, telling stories about just being a dude trying to make it through a tough day at work and that kind of stuff. It just has human elements. And that's what I really enjoy. One of the things I really enjoy about country music is that true storytelling, relatable country elements. That's what I enjoyed about the record. I, th- I think a lot of the other picks you made were much better examples of, of the things country music does well. Fair enough. Moving on. <laughs> uh, then I kind of got more into trying to go back. I think I got sick of going back with the blues and I was starting modern and maybe that was a mistake, but we listened to Chris Christopherson's Christopherson. However, Andy believes it should be Chris Christopherson Tofferson. <laughs> it was it was Chris Christopherson. Uh, you may or may not be aware, American singer, songwriter, musician, and actor. He wrote and recorded Me and Bobby McGee. 
mm-hmm. which is probably his most famous song made most popular by Janis Joplin. But this record is really stripped down. 1970, recorded in 1969, produced by Fred Foster. And it was his first album. Many of the songs were already hits because they had been re- recorded by other artists that he had written for. It's solid. It's a really good listen. The storytelling elements are there. He's one of the founders, later founders of Outlaw Country. So Christopherson's voice, his delivery is like a, I don't know, it's like Bob Dylan mixed with Johnny Cash. That's there you go. that's my, so what do oh, you think of this record? I really enjoyed it. I was really surprised that he had that type of artistic, I guess, creativity. I didn't really know what to expect from him. I only didn't, I knew he was a musician, but I also knew he was acting, so I was surprised that he was that good of a songwriter. You know, maybe he's not the best performer in the world, but I think his songwriting skills were top-notch for sure. I'd agree. Uh, so it's only about 40 minutes long. It's definitely something any country fan should listen to because it does. it's the building blocks of a lot of what you might like today. Mm-hmm. And then I finished with, if, what, if I were asked what's an essential country record, what is the essential country record, the album that birthed the outlaw country movement of the 70s, I would say Willie Nelson's Redheaded Stranger, released in May of 1975. It's 33 minutes long on Columbia Records, produced by Willie Nelson. I don't need to say who Willie Nelson is. He's still recording. He's still touring. He's still awesome, and he's got awesome hair, and I'm jealous. (laughs) He's a pretty cool guy, no matter how you feel about country music. He's a cool guy. So the thing about this album is the sound is so stripped down, so simple, yet so perfect. And I guess these were like one-take, two-take kind of things. This was not a lot of production. But it's a concept record, which we love on this show. So the story was told. A tale was woven. You can listen to our show. You want to hear all the details, the one where we discussed this. But it's basically a story about a, a preacher. There's murder. There's horses. There's cowboys. There's shooting. The whole thing. And it's a great story. And it's so fun to listen to. Everybody who was listening to this loves it. I guarantee <laughs> They even made it into a movie in 1986. It was just such a surprise uh, how simple yet good this is as a complete record and how important it is, I think, to the kind of country music that we've been talking about on the oh, show. Yeah. What were your thoughts? Oh, on yeah, man, I totally agree. That's definitely my favorite of your selections. It's right in that sweet spot for me in, in terms of what country does well with the storytelling and the kind of stripped down music style fit perfectly into that and take away too much from his delivery of, of the vocals. And, you know, he's such a, a cool, just charming guy. It, it's awesome. It's it's definitely probably my favorite country record I've heard, I, I would say. Nice. Well, why don't we finish this up with a little Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, which was his first number one hit. Someday when we meet up yonder We'll stroll hand in hand again So that's how I'm going to close out the country project for 2018. Thank you for listening to all of my babbling about these records. Thank you to all the artists that filled my brain and ears with... Hundreds and hundreds of songs. So, well, hey, man, thank you for exposing you. us to all that good music and uh, making those recommendations. It definitely 
has broadened my palette considerably and I have a much deeper appreciation for the genre in general. So good on you, man. Good work. All right. Jazz it up, fool. Jazzy. <laughs> Jazzy. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that little sample means it's time <laughs> for essential jazz. All right. So I picked out six records that we've highlighted over the last year. The nice thing about jazz music in particular is it fits fairly neatly into some some eras over the different decades. So I didn't exactly go in chronological order. I know the last record we talked about was from Lee Kant, and that was um, in the late 40s with his record Subconsciously. And that, for me, was kind of the beginning of like the modern jazz sound that we, that we know today. Awesome sound. It was, it was something called cool jazz. It's very smooth, but also very heady and intricate. So amazing soloing on that record. I also kind of fell in love with uh, a vocalist, a jazz vocalist from that time by the name of Peggy Lee. Remember her, man? The blonde bombshell. Yeah, you, you, you love that lady. Uh, you, I mean, your uh, affection for her voice was, was so like... I could. It just was so refreshing that you were completely into. You were like falling in love with this person through their voice and through their musical uh, yeah, delivery. I, I thought that was great. Taken, I think it's a good word by her uh, 1955 record, Black Coffee. Just exactly what you want from like that sultry jazz singer. You know, the nightclub, the little lamps on the tables, dimly lit around. You know, cigarette smoke in the air, kind of thing. She encapsulated that perfectly for me. Uh, let's play a little clip from the title track from that record. This is black coffee. Coffee loves a hand-me-down broom. I'll never know a Sunday in this weekday room. Yeah, I that just melts me a little bit here and there. Yeah, yeah. Take a cold shower, yeah, buddy. So, I absolutely adore that that period of jazz. I think it was is fantastic. Um, and you're kind of coming out of the the big bands, big band sound, and the more big orchestral, almost a like soundtrack kind of of sound in in the. 30s and 40s and kind of ended up in this really sweet spot there um, and then once we kind of moved into the 50s and the 60s we got more into like the the hard bop and uh, the modal jazz styles of like people like uh, Wayne Shorter we talked about his record Speak No Evil uh, this is also when like Miles Davis was, was coming up and I also talked about a record from Ornette Coleman which I think turned to be one of my, my favorites of, of this period Shape of Jazz to Come 1959. Uh, really influential record, really different from anything that was going on. It got into this modal style of jazz, which was kind of new at the time. And uh, let's play a cut from that. This is uh, the opening cut, Lonely Woman. Just so, I don't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that record, man? I know you in this... Uh... 
I forgot about how good that is. I hadn't gone back to it, and it, that's just so jazzy. <laughs> I really like that one. Yeah. It's got all the right elements. It's got mm-hmm. tons of uh, emotion through the instrumentation. I just, It's a great jazz record, and it's a lot of fun to listen to from start to finish. It's another one of those that makes me want to start smoking again. <laughs> Yeah, Ed, that's something you cannot, that's a record you cannot ignore if, if you're going to call yourself a jazz fan. You got to have that one on your shelf. Uh, and Speak No Evil from Windschroeder is also uh, also a classic for a reason. And then we started to move into the 70s. We, we you kind of hear jazz being incorporated into other types of music. Um, it kind of gotten solidified enough in our culture that we start to hear um, elements of funk, you know, with like Herbie Hancock, especially, as well as like world music. I was really digging this Alice Coltrane and what she was doing at the time. Uh, her journey, her record in particular, uh, Journey into Satcha Handa, Handa, 1971, incorporated a lot of Indian music, uh, which was, you know, becoming more popular in American culture into like that traditional jazz uh, sound of the time. This is the uh, the title track. Yeah, so I mean, you obviously can hear the incorporation of some non-traditional jazz instruments into that has um, a much different pacing to it than you'd expect from a jazz record. Uh, really opened my eyes to uh, to what the genre could offer, you know, outside of the traditional uh, you know bop style that you'd expect. Then um, we also touched on some more modern stuff from Terry Lee Carrington at the Mosaic Project from 2011, which has elements of hip hop and R&B incorporated into the jazz style. Sounds a little more fresh, a little more modern. I think equally as exciting. You know, it's just cool to hear a genre progress over the years and adapt itself to what's going on in the rest of the musical landscape. was was pretty exciting as a fan, and it's definitely affected how I'm listening to new releases that are coming out today uh i've been revisiting an artist that i'd kind of written off a modern day electronic musician by the name of uh floating points he's uh he's a dj who has put out some really interesting records last couple years um he just put out an ep called mojave desert which i think is really cool and has some some interesting uh kind of like free jazz elements to it as well as a record he put out in 2015 called uh eliana and we're going to play a cut from that now. And I think you can draw some similarities between this and what Alice Coltrane was doing back in the 70s. So this track here is called Silhouettes 1, 2, and 3. So also combining a lot of like the modern electronic sounds and and composition style with with some of those elements of of jazz and and that's that approach to music. I think it works really well and kind of hearing it in a new light now, which is is exciting for me as a fan. Um, to have that perspective, I think is is super useful. Uh, Do you find that at all with uh, the blues and country project, man? Has it affected your listening to more modern 
contemporary music? Yeah, definitely. There are things I would have written off because they were country or because they were blues. Just thought that's not my thing. But this uh, experience has made me realize that there's so many elements that are shared between genres. And a lot of those elements that I love, the best things about rock and roll to me are when a song is uh, telling a story and when there's really cool blues riffs. So it definitely um, has strengthened my love of of music I already liked and has helped me to to open up and find a whole new... I mean, I'm an older gentleman here. Finding new stuff to listen to was increasingly harder and harder, but these projects have really helped me to uh, expand my horizons. So Yeah, man. That's what it's all about. That's what we try to do on the show, kind of uh, broaden our horizons and our you know understanding of music a little bit and hopefully have a better perspective for... You know, what people in other times where they were coming from, people in other parts of the world where they're coming from, and just kind of, you know, make everybody a little bit better. All right, Andy. So now that we've learned all this stuff, what's yeah. next? What are we going to do next? For the album notes. I think we should keep doing uh, Essential Project next year. Maybe uh, pick some new genres or some new focuses. What do you think, man? Sounds swell. It's as <laughs> if we've prepared for this conversation. Just, just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy. So what are you planning to do? What's, what's your essential project for 2018 look like? All right. So I think I want to dive into funk music. And this largely comes from yes. <laughs> my love of Herbie Hancock and what he was doing in the 70s. I kind of got into that a little bit as I was going through the jazz project. Um, want to dig into that some more. But there's also a lot of other artists in that time period that I would love to spend some more time with. Uh, people like Stevie Wonder, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye, Parliament Funkadelic, Sly and the Family Stone, shit like that. That I'm a, oh a, god, <laughs> pretty good stuff, right? Yes. I mean, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna talk about all those specifically, but those are some people that you know I respect already and would love to have a deep appreciation for. So that's what I'm going to do. Hopefully, I'll find some undiscovered gems along the way and uh, have some good stories to tell you guys in uh, 2018. So yeah, funk from the 70s is going to be my jam for the next 12 months. How about you, buddy? Okay, so I'm excited about that because I had a, a funk phase back in the 90s. So a lot of those records are favorites of mine. So that should be a lot of fun yeah, yeah. for both of us. I'm going with the new wave of British heavy metal, which is basically uh, metal music that came from Britain in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Uh, that, that term was coined by a journalist in 1979 in an issue of the British music newspaper Sounds. Um, but it includes it includes bands like Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Motorhead, Saxon. And there are also a lot of bands that I hadn't heard of or listened to. Uh, some I have, Thin Lizzy, UFO, Judas Priest. So I think we're going to have some fun learning about the, the origins of, of British heavy metal and what that has meant for modern metal because that's one musical rock and roll genre that seems to be very much alive but it's very splintered so i'm curious to see what elements come from from its mother that's so i think that's that cool, man. good old mother england uh supplying us with some good music and i'll get to sing along uh, yeah! <laughs> can't wait for you that <laughs> Cool, dude. That sounds exciting to me. Looking forward to digging into that. So we're going to do that like in January, kick that off. New year, yep. new projects. Yep. And we got to call out to the album nerds out there. Let us know from these genres. 
What do you want to talk? What do you want us to talk about? What suggestions do you have for us? Get onto thealbumnerds.com and talk to us. Get onto the Twitter and talk to us. How can they do this, Andy? How can they talk to us? Yeah, Twitter is the best place. Uh, we're on there pretty regularly at Album Nerds. Uh, you can also recommend a record to us on Symbol Music Discovery app. That's cool too. Website's good as well, albumnerds.com. Yeah, if you know a record that fits into those one of those genres, man, we'd love to listen to it and, and maybe include it on the show. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, please do uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, et cetera, et cetera. If you can leave us a rating on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. Helps the show get out there a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, coming up next week, we're going to be talking about some new releases. We got this as kind of our last new release show of the year. After that, we're going to be digging into uh, some top releases from the year, top Christmas music coming up as well. So lots of lots of exciting stuff coming up for the rest of the year on the show. Sounds swell. All right, album nerds. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good one. Talk to you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>